overkill, profusion, excess, surplus, too much, abundance. When it comes to the body of Christ, God is just a big show-off, heaping spiritual gifts on His people in an embarrassment of riches. I'm Laura Pace. And I'm Jessica Denny. You're listening to Embarrassment of Riches, where we explore the wisdom, passion, power, and grace that God has showered on the women of Dallas Bible. Good evening, and welcome to Embarrassment of Riches. Hi, Laura. You're too loud. (laughs) Too loud, too punchy, too obnoxious. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Jess was just checking with Kyle to ask if she was too loud and obnoxious, and we both pretty simultaneously said, in general or right now on this recording? (laughs) I already knew the general general answer to that because I I told – I told them I, I re- Kyle has shushed me in a parking lot before. Mm-hmm. And you said... <laughs> and also sometimes in church when I'm whispering, he's shushed me. <laughs> that doesn't feel fair. No. Everybody needs a good Although whisper Ki- in church. I, I, Kyle, Kyle says that I only have two levels and one, uh, like it's like my normal speaking voice and then um, my stage whisper, which is pretty much the same level <laughs> as my normal speaking voice, but with a breathy tone. Uh. Yes, you're trying. I'm trying. You're making but, an but, effort. But it's like it's like when Lydia was like four and she was like she would run. She thought that if she would breathe like this, it would make her go. It faster. would make her go faster, and she'd pump her arms. But she just was like Phoebe on Friends, running, mm-hmm. and she wasn't running faster. It's like I'm mocking, like if like you add a little breath to it. If I add a breath to it, the it whole gets, room it goes can't in hear the whisper qu- it, category. It, it, but it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No, so. it just makes it a little bit more obnoxious talking. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, we have a special guest with us on our mid-season man sessions. We do. Um, we have heard from this gentleman's wife before, and we had a delightful time talking to her. Because she is delightful. She is. Although, would you say, I'm trying to keep it a secret who it is, even though mm. it's going to be like right on the picture. Yeah, no, we're just going to see who can guess. Who can guess. But... I would say while we knew that we would like this person when we interviewed her, mm-hmm. did you know that Nita O'Neill was so funny? I did not know. I already knew I did like her. I liked her even more after getting to visit with her for a specific hour. Yes. She is lovely. She and is she is lovely. hilarious. Yeah, and she's super funny, which I always thought she was gentle and sweet. I did not realize she was also hilarious. Yes. But we have Nita O'Neill's sweet husband, Gary. We're just going to uh, call you Nita O'Neill's husband. Nita O'Neill's <laughs> husband. Mr. Nita. Mr. Nita. That's right. We have Gary O'Neill with us. Hey, Gary. Hi. Welcome. Thank you for coming. Yeah, I just said right before we started recording, this is brave of you. <laughs> it's a brave, brave thing to come and do. I had to de- uh, take a deep breath before I came in. So. Did did uh, <laughs> did Nita tell you that you had to do this when we no, asked? No, she didn't tell me. She's, she she hardly pushes me too much. She just okay. kind of encourages me. Encourages you that you have to. a story to tell. Yeah. Well, let's start there. Tell us um, kind of a an overview. Of, of you and, and maybe your childhood, where you grew up, what, what that was like. Sure. Yeah, I grew up in a little town called Nakona, Texas, which is about 100 miles uh, north between Wichita Falls and Gainesville on okay. Highway 82. 
It's about 3,000 people, kind of famous for making cowboy boots. Have you ever heard of Nocona boots or Justin boots? Justin ah. boots, yes. Yeah, Justin boots was uh, – uh, John Justin started Justin boots in Fort Worth, and his sister, Enid Justin, started Nocona boots in Nocona. And so my dad uh, grew up in a little place called Spanish Fort, about 200 people north of there. And, uh, <clears throat> and my dad was a real entrepreneur. He was an oil business. He – he raised mink. He uh, built and operated a nursing home. Did you he, say meat or mink? Mink. Like, oh, wink. wow. Mink. Yeah, Fancy. Yeah, mink. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. And I uh, operated, had an oil company. Uh, Would you be able to pick out a mink in a lineup of animals? <laughs> Small, furry Ooh. animals. I think maybe I would be able to. I want you to do like okay. a little hand drawing of Yeah, a mink we'll just do a pic. You, you, you can make a pic collage. Each and of I'll us see draw a little uh, mink and yeah. see if we know what they yeah, I do. I wouldn't be able to pick it out by touch like on a coat. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking. The, we, uh, my mom passed away several years ago, but we've, uh, I've been, we've been taking pictures of all of her pictures. Hmm. And she has albums and albums and thousands of pictures. And, and uh, But anyway, one of them was my brother playing with those little mink when he was little. <laughs> and Did so, he know what know the mink's life didn't... would be? <laughs> was, was the mink soon yeah, to be a Yeah, they didn't really coat? explain that part. What's this mink going? What's he going to end up? <laughs> so you know exactly what a mink looks like. Uh, yeah, I do know what a mink looks like. Okay. <laughs> All right. But, uh, but anyway, so I grew up there in, in a small town. Just, uh, you know, I was, I grew up in church, but... I would say a church that was pretty liberal in theology. Uh, I never, my parents went to church every Sunday, and my my grandparents, at one time I did a, a family history of grandparents and great-grandparents, and I, uh, there was a really a godly side on that particular, it was on my mom's side, uh, and like one of them was the founding, one of the founding members in the uh, they were born in 1880, mm-hmm. my great-grandparents, in Bonita, Texas, which is a little tiny town close to Nocona. And, uh, and so I didn't know all of these things, but I, I didn't know the Lord when I was growing up. I just went to church, and I never really hear, remember hearing the gospel. Hmm. And so by the time I was 18, I thought, is, is, is this it? And so we I just go well, to church, check the box, and yeah, go home. And, and I thought, well, if this is it, you know, I don't think I really want it. And so I kind of developed the philosophy. I th- if you're just going to go around once, you may as well party it up. So. Hmm. Uh, so anyway, that's funny. That's my philosophy now. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at least yours is a sanctified version. Gary, you were YOLO before YOLO was yeah. a thing, right? <laughs> Mine includes like dance parties with my kids and a vacation every summer. Let's <laughs> live <Yeah>. it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, mine was a little wilder, but uh, anyway, no, I, I uh, and I played in a rock band when I was uh, in high school. Always loved. What's the cheesiest name of a rock band that you were in? I will share with you off the air what Kyle's was that he will kill me if I say it on this. So he, but tell us. Well, the, the cheesiest name? This yes, what, the worst this name where we of a landed, band. You... But the cheesiest name was the Hatsman, and we all wore hats. <laughs> subtle. <laughs> Different types of hats. Super subtle. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but right. Kyle's got you beat if that's the worst you <laughs> Anyway, we, signed, we finally settled on the Mind's Eye. Okay. That's, that's a very 70s name. Oh, yeah, the that feels like eye. psychedelic. As a matter of fact, five Sounds years ago. Sounds like a ago, bunch of philosophy majors. <laughs> five years ago, we were asked to come back and do a reunion Stop concert. Stop it. 
at our at our high school reunion. So did we you do it? In, we did. We, we oh, got that's together. Super fun. We won in when in 1967 we won the second place in the Battle of the Bands at the State Fair. Oh wow! And uh, what instrument did you play? I played guitar. I played okay. guitar. Uh, so anyway, so I so I always enjoyed that. That was that was my niche. You know how, how kids have niches in mm-hmm. high school. That was my niche. You know, other people played football. I went over to my friend's house and we practiced you know, <laughs> learning new songs and stuff. So, mm-hmm. so I always had that. And, and by the way, I wasn't good in band because I, I had a really hard time reading music, but I could really hear it good. Mm-hmm. And so uh, anyway, so I had a, a really. It was a nice. I, I didn't have a, a extremely tumultuous. You know, high school life, it was pretty nice. And, uh, but it wasn't, and it really wasn't, it wasn't until my senior year and my first couple of college years that I sort of developed a, a change in philosophy. Of my, because I, sometimes there was something in me that sort of always wanted to be good. My, uh, my mom was a very nice person, and, uh, and she would always say, be good. Be good. <laughs> it seemed like the worse, the the more I tried, the worse I got. But uh, it's like my philosophy with my kids is very similar, where I just say like, "Don't suck." <laughs> right. It's kind of same vein. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh. So anyway, I was um. So I I wanted there was something inside me we wanted to be good, but I sort of gave up because I looked at all of my friends and a lot of them really were doing things that I wasn't, uh, I wasn't doing. Hmm. And I didn't really have an ultimate reason why not to do them because I didn't have a relationship with the Lord. I didn't know what my life was about. Right, You were still like YOLO. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You only live once. Yeah, well, yeah and, exactly. And, yeah, right. the, yeah the, you may as well just live it up. <laughs> God didn't feel bigger than just doing what yeah. you want to do right yeah, now. And, and I was looking, you know, and I wasn't so much looking in high school or, or at least, I didn't think I was looking. I, I think I probably was, but I, I, the more I got into the lifestyle, you know, I was sort of, you'd consider me a hippie at that time. And, uh, you know, all the, everything that was related to that, I was, the deeper I got into that, the, the more I realized I was searching. Hmm. So anyway, so after high school, I uh, kind of developed that philosophy again, where you just kind of go around, you, I just kind of cast off all restraint. And uh, it reminds me of that Beatles song, Dear Prudence. Are you familiar with that? Mm-hmm. Dear Prudence, won't you come out to play? Dear Prudence, it's a brand new day. In other words, basically, he says, Dear Prudence, just cast it all off. Just give it all up and go for it. Mm. And so <clears throat> so I sort of developed that philosophy. And uh, and that works for a while. It's, it's fun, except uh, <laughs> when it starts to catch up with you and... Uh, and so the more I, I did that, and I, the more I felt like this is kind of empty. Hmm. And uh, so I had a friend, <clears throat> his name was Poke Byers, who was the first guy that ever introduced me. During this time, I started using drugs and, and so on. So he was the first guy that ever introduced me to that. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, he moved into Oklahoma and uh, uh, and we got to be good friends, and so there's a little a little group of us that were sort of in this particular this group, you know, that was uh, weren't cowboys. We were, you know, we were the hippies. We were the people that that tended to, to use drugs. You were the so mind's eye. We mm-hmm. were the mind's eye. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, 
so he came so he he uh we continue. He he got in a big fight. I'm talking about poke fires now. He got in a big fight uh, out at the boot shop where he worked, and uh, he left town. We didn't hear from him for I don't know, probably several months, if not maybe a year. And um, and then we just I say we we had a little our little group of friends there. Uh, just continued to party, continued to party, and I uh, started going to the University of North Texas. And, uh, and I was really, I wasn't going to class. I, I mean, I was just, just there Living to basically that, party. that mindful eye life. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. That's <laughs> exactly right. So anyway, we heard, uh, so we, we heard that Polk in, in our words uh, that Polk had become a, a Jesus freak hmm. and I wasn't sure exactly what a Jesus freak was, but that's what he was or we heard he'd become that. And so we were having a party one night and so we decided we'll call him. So we called him, and I, I remember he answers the telephone, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. <laughs> and I said, Pope, what are you doing? He said, well, since I gave my heart to the Lord, my life has changed. He said, what are you doing? <laughs> and I still remember the words that came out of my mouth. I said, uh, I'm getting stoned and going to school. <laughs> and, um, and I remember when I said that, I thought, wow, it's kind of it's like a revelation. That's all my life is about. Mm. I mean, it was just... When it came out of my mouth, I thought, I don't really have much to say. Mm. So anyway, so we all talked to him in our little group there. And then we heard he was going to be in a Callisburg, Texas, which is up by Gainesville. He'd gotten back together with his wife. after He had he'd just become a believer, I mean, in a, or a, probably a year before that. So anyway, um, and so his, his, his in-laws were in Callisburg, and so he was going to be there. And so... So we all talked, you know, we need to go talk to Polk Myers. We need to see what's going on. You know, we, we, I didn't know, again, I didn't know what exactly what that meant, you know, when you, a Jesus freak. But my idea of Christianity, really, this is, I, my idea of Christianity, you had short hair, sort of drove a station wagon, you had a straight job, and you were kind of a nice person. And uh, Boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's kind of my idea. And so anyway, we get, so we decided we'd, Take a lid of marijuana, and we call it. We thought he'd surely still smoke with us, so we take a lid of marijuana, and, and we get stoned on the way up there. And as we're driving up to Callisburg, it's way out in the country, in the middle of nowhere, and we nearly, almost never. I mean, it took us forever to find it. We we're actually getting ready to turn around and go home. We looked up and we saw his car up on the hill, so we went up there, and and uh, his uh, father-in-law was there came out on the porch and, and said, boys, your, your eyes sure are red. And, uh, and Polk said, leave them alone. I've got something to tell them. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we, so there were four of us. We went in, and, uh, and uh, for about the next four hours, he just told us what God had done in his life. But the thing is that it was like, this is a different person mm-hmm. than the person I knew before. I mean, there was something very deeply different in his life. And uh, by the end of four hours, we were, weren't high anymore. We were kind of down. And so he shared with us the basic gospel. And he asked us, uh, he said, would any of you like to pray to receive the Lord? And and uh, just through further conversation, we learned this. I mean, we'd, we were all kind of thinking, yeah, I'd kind of like to, but I was a little bit embarrassed in front of my friends and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we said, well, let us think about it. <clears throat> and so uh, anyway, we got in the car and headed back to uh, Denton. And uh, I remember asking one friend, I said, what, what do you think about that? 
He said, I don't know. He said, I, I did that when I was 12 years old. I walked down the aisle. I asked the second friend, I said, what do you think about it? He said, I don't know, man. It sounds like I might have to give up some things. Mm. And I asked his third friend, I said, what do you think about it? And he said, well, I'm going to do it. I said, really? You're going to do it? He said, yeah, I'm going to do it. I said, well, well, you'll do it. I'll do it. We didn't know what we were going to do, though. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I really, we, I, we just knew that this is what you ought to do. So anyway, I, I go home that night and didn't laying there in bed and I'm I'm just kind of thinking I said God I, I think I've seen you for the first time in somebody's life that I mm. recognized and I said if you'll show me that you're real and I'll I'll do anything you want me to do and I'll just I'll follow you and I really meant that I mean I was at that point I was I was ready I was ripe for the gospel so anyway, I got, uh, laid there and went to sleep. Next morning, I got up and always say I've had a friend that kept a Bible like a fire extinguisher. He never used it. He's like to have it in case of emergency. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so anyway, I said, hey, could I read that? And and, uh, and so he handed it to me, and he said, uh, and I, I believe I opened up the scripture, you're a new creation, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And it was like a realization the God who created the universe wants a relationship with me. I mean, it was such a eye-opening revelation that God wanted a relationship with me. And, I mean, it was just, it was like instantaneous. I'm, I, I became an instant evangelist. <laughs> I began to share with all of my friends. I think I drove them crazy. <laughs> what God, how God could change your life. And, you know, this was the first day I was saved. <laughs> and uh, so anyway. But you sense such an immediate change within you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I never picked up another drug from that point. I mean, there mm. wasn't, I, it, that part of it was so instantaneous it was like sort of like a Damascus Road experience where it was, it just, you know. It the was scales fell mm-hmm. off your eyes. Yeah, Well, exactly. and you were saying that there was, you had this internal sense of wanting to be good, mm-hmm. but you needed something more kind of behind that than just being good for goodness sake. And you also had that same sense when you said, I'm like, I'm smoking out and going I like, to class. I like <laughs> this is the Christmas season and you're like quoting uh, Christmas, Christmas carols. That's right. That's right. Bring it all back. But that you, you had a sense that this stuff felt empty and pointless and almost like embarrassingly bored, like just kind of, it was almost the, why should I be good? Mm -hmm. You know, why should I be good? Why should I give this stuff up when it's kind of fun? Yeah. And And so, so I was looking for that deeper answer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Enter and poke. When, right, right. Through poke buyers. That's right. Poke buyers. And, uh, <laughs> Kyle has a similar um, character in his story um, whose who's real name was Cleve, but he went by Evil C, which is Cleve spelled backwards. <laughs> <laughs> so you can, Gary, you can ask him about Evil C later, okay? <laughs> poke buyers is a pretty good name, but I don't know if it can beat Evil C. <laughs> So you you had that immediate change. I did. Okay. I yeah. I, I uh, and I pray, and I was I, I was like, what the scripture says, a new creation. I thought what, and I didn't know what to do. And I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'll do anything you want me to. Do. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. Where do I go to church? I don't care. Mm-hmm. And I was just so excited about this change in my life. And so anyway, I felt like I should. Uh, it was only a few days till the end of the semester. 
And so I felt like I ought to go back to Nokona, of all places. And and because uh, Nokona is a small town, well, there happened to be a a minister there at the the is at the Baptist church actually, but he was just a spirit on fire guy for the Lord. I mean, he he was. There were kids. I say, you know, I was twenty at this time. And so there was a a youth group, a high school youth group, and and kids were just coming to the Lord all over the place. This is during a really kind of a time of revival in the early 70s. You know, there was a lot of things going on. I mean, God was just just, uh, working and and just picking out people (laughs) into his kingdom. And and so this was was something that that, uh, when I came back to Nocona, I, I, I said, I felt like the Lord really planted me at that at, in that place, mm. and so stayed there and went through some trials there, as, as we all do. And uh, um, you mean it wasn't smooth sailing once you became a believer? It wasn't smooth sailing mm. all the way. I remember, <clears throat> I remember the the. It was interesting because uh, I'll just share this with you. I had. Uh, when I came back, even though I I was excited about my relationship with the Lord, I remember about a week after that happened, I just started feeling oppressed. I don't know exactly mm-hmm. how to say it, except just oppressed all day long. This was on a, I believe this was on a Sunday or maybe on a Wednesday. I'm not sure, but anyway, I was just, I just felt depressed, and and I could feel. It's like Satan was just saying, "I oh, want you to just give up this stuff," and mm-hmm. I and I really really wrestled with that, and and I remember I went to church that night, and the presence of God and the power of God was so strong there. I was on the front row, and after the preacher preached and they started playing a, a song, uh, I mean, I literally fell down to the altar. I mean, mm-hmm. just we I fell on my face on the altar, just weeping, and. I don't know how to describe it except something. It's like all of that, all of that, that uh, temptation to go back. It's like it just, just exploded. It was just gone. And I always, I always think of it like the breaking of the power of sin. Because even though I'd made the decision, I mean, I was in a pretty sinful lifestyle, and there was something that was broken that night. I think of the scripture when when uh, the children of Israel cross the Red Sea, it says, "You'll see your enemies no more." Hmm. And and I never struggled with that temptation to go back into the old lifestyle after that. But there was a breaking of the power of sin there, and that was because of the presence of God in that meeting. And and so one of the things that I intuitively understand early in my Christian life was that God was the same yesterday, Mm -hmm. today, and forever. And what he did in the time of Jesus, he does today. Mm -hmm. That it wasn't all of these supernatural things didn't just die in the time of the apostles. (laughs) I mean, that God is a supernatural God. And that resonated very early in my my Christian life. And, And I really had some very powerful things happen early in my Christian life that, that validated that, that God is a supernatural God. Mm. And, uh, and so <clears throat> anyway, make a long story short, I started going to a little charismatic coffee house in Wichita Falls. A charismatic coffee charismatic house. Charismatic coffee house. I didn't that even know that such a thing niche. existed. <laughs> sounds very niche. It does. Yeah. Very, uh, and, and we'd go in and there was just a few people in there, but the presence of God was so powerful in that little coffee house. And they would worship 
close her eyes, they'd raise her hands, and just you could just feel the presence of God in there. And uh, so like anyway, you took, you took your hippie ways into your I did, into yeah, your yeah. faith. That's right. Right. <laughs> I feel have, like there's some other hippies in the charismatic coffee house <laughs> for sure. <laughs> True yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it's, uh, it's, and it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting where the people in that little charismatic coffee house, like one of the girls that was in there, she was in high school at that time. And she, and I, I think, I think about where their lives are today. She is, uh, she's been in, in, uh, Bogota, Colombia now for 30, probably about 38 years. And she runs a, a, a school for deaf and blind, uh, mm. well, can be deaf and, and some of them are blind also students. And so God was doing things in that little coffee house where we had Bible studies. He was putting vision, you know, vision of what, what God wants to do in your heart. And so that was a very, a very strengthening time. But it's also a time that you, you understand that you learn to discern. You know, Paul talks about having your senses trained to discern good and evil. And there was some things, and, and this is true, I mean, of any movement, there's some things in the charismatic movement that gets way off in left field or way off in right field. Mm-hmm. And and so I went through some of those trials of discernment and learning how to walk with God and learning that that you also have to be within scriptural boundaries. And so it was a, a very much a time of learning and going going through the fire in that learning activity. And uh, so for a couple of years, I, I lived in Nocona and, and uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, worked for a guy. That, and there were several of us believers that had gotten saved during that time that worked together out building a lake development and stuff. So, so anyway, it was a, a good time, a hard time, and a growing time. Well, and now, I, I think about that so frequently with, like, your story, Jess. And, you know, I grew up in church. I grew up in a Bible church. Um, and... And I, I, I feel overwhelmed for people who become believers as adults and just how much there is to learn mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and to even learn that I can't just make my faith convenient for me. There mm-hmm. are parameters that I have to exist in because God says so and he gave us the Bible for that. For That's one of the purposes. And I'm just now reading the Bible. And I'm just now reading the Bible. <laughs> so figuring out what the parameters are feels overwhelming. So I just, I always think that that um, has to be a big challenge mm-hmm. or an overwhelming challenge to think I have so much to learn. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Gary, I don't want to hijack your story, but speaking of like learning the Bible, you have a reverse Samson story. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. Well, maybe you're about to find out. Wait, would you? Wait, wait, do you want to share that story? I loved. I I really enjoyed that. A reverse Samson story. What is? Give the me story? a hint. When you got your hair cut. Oh, okay, all right, okay. And it didn't. Okay. It didn't take your power. Okay. It yeah. didn't take your. It didn't suck your power. It gave you power. Right. Okay. All right. All right. Got it. Reverse got it. Samson. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, so. On the way home, remember, I, I got—I was in Denton when I got saved. I was mm-hmm. only there for a few days, and I was headed back to Nocona. School was out. I was going to Nocona. Well, the Lord, for whatever reason, the Lord has always spoken to me clearly about certain things. I mean, there is—I mean, I've just just hear His voice clearly. And so I'm—I'm <clears throat> I'm going from Nocona, driving back, and and uh, and my hair is down on my shoulders, and. And here's the guy that just just said, you know, God, I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll go anywhere you. <laughs> so on the way home, <clears throat> God began to say, um, "I want you to get your hair cut." And 
I'm sorry, there was a caveat, God. Anything <laughs> except my hair. But and I, you know, I wrestled with that. Well, you know, I argued a while, and it it just kept on pressing. I want you to get your hair cut. After realizing that, that hair was my identity, hmm. and and so it wasn't just this was back in the early '70s, and it, it sort of identified me as a rebel. And uh, so anyway. As I keep on going, I keep on feeling this impression. And finally, I mean, literally, I said, no, I'm not going to do it. I mean, immediately, that sense, that it's like God said, okay, okay. So anyway, I, I, and I didn't feel like I couldn't come to God. He just said, okay. So anyway, I get home, and, and uh, my parents don't know anything about this. And at this time, I don't even know that they were believers. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had grown, you know, been to church, but I'm not sure exactly what the relationship at that particular time was. But anyway, so I go in. They don't know anything, any of these things are happening. I go to my room, and I get on my knees, and I need a job. I say, Lord, you know, just, give, you know, open the, the right door for a job. And, and my mom comes in the room just right after I get off my knees. She said, and she doesn't even know I'm looking for a job. She said, hey. I'm, I know where you can get a job. And I said, really? Well, anyway, she told me it was a state highway department buoy. And at that time, you have to put yourself back in that time. You know, long hair was Long hair people need not apply. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, and so anyway, I thought, okay, okay, God, you got me. So anyway, and I, I literally, I wrestled until about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And finally, I said, okay, I'll get cut to the bottom of my ears. So anyway... So I get up the next morning, and <clears throat> and I go to, uh, uh, I have a friend that used to cut it. Well, I, anyway, I called called that person, and, and uh, they didn't have any scissors. That shows you the quality of my haircuts. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get and my hand I, on any scissors. Then I called my sister-in-law, and I, or I'm sorry, it was my sister-in-law. Yeah, I called my sister-in-law and, and couldn't get a hold of her. She didn't answer the phone. So I thought, uh, well, it's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to that bastion of conservatism. I mean, this was really a breakdown. I'm going to that bastion of conservatism, the barbershop. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so I'm walking across the field, and there was an ice storm that day. And the barbershop was real close to my house, so we, I'm walking across the field, and I get to the, to the barbershop, and there's closed because of the ice storm. There's a sign on the window. So I'm walking back across the field, and, and I'm saying, Lord, I thought you wanted me to get a haircut. And he said something very specific to me. He said, I wanted it out of your heart and not off your head. And so, <clears throat> so another job opened up. I kept my hair long for two or three years. But the thing was, it was, was this, that I got to go back into the culture that I came out of and say, God's not interested in your outward appearance. He's interested in your heart. And I see, I love the idea that cowboys that get saved start cowboy churches, you know, Jewish people that get saved start messianic assemblies. I mean, you, God calls us. To, if He brings us out, He brings us out in to our purpose. He sends and us a, back as farriers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He, he brings because He wants us to bring that message of hope, and and we can relate to people in different ways because of our backgrounds. But once that sanctifying process takes place, He goes. As, he brings us. He brings us back into those cultures with hope. Mm-hmm. And uh, and God's interested in changing your heart. You don't have to change your appearance. God wants to change your heart from the inside out. And so that was um, that was something that's very. Uh, that was a lifelong. That's a lesson I've always remembered. Well, I regret asking him that story now. <laughs> thank you, Lord. Oh yeah, that was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you, Gary. Uh-huh.
<laughs> well, can you tell us of a time where um, like the dependency, like uh, in, uh, after your early faith, where the dependency like on God became real, like where your, ta- your faith was tested? Hmm. Yeah, I could tell you several times about that, but I guess, okay, several things. Um, I ended up going to... Uh, You're not with, limited to one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, w- I went to Bible school, ended up going to Christ for the Nations here in mm. Dallas. And uh, while I was there, um, I had, I grew up in Nocona. There's no Jewish people in Nocona. Matter of fact, there's at that time, it was all white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestants, and a few Catholics. <laughs> and I mean, that's just sort of the 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 way you grow up. And so I knew nothing about Jewish people. But there was a uh, an opportunity to go and live on a kibbutz in Israel. And uh, and so prayed about it, and a group of about 25 of us went over, and we lived on a kibbutz as volunteers, and we took the gospel to the Jewish people. I don't mean to display my ignorance, but you keep saying a word that sounds like kibbutz. Kibbutz, kibbutz. Mm. What is that? I don't even know what that kibbutz is. Kibbutz is like a, it's like a farm. They were the kibbutz, and literally they're called a, a resident oh, of the kibbutz group? is a kibbutznik. They're Jewish, okay, that that live in Israel. They're, they've immigrated back from wherever lands they were dispelled to back to Israel, and they live. So the, the kibbutzniks were like the pioneers of Israel. And so the first kibbutz in Israel was in, in uh, 1909. This was after they started coming back to the land. And so they would buy a plot of ground and they would go out and farm the fields and so on. So there's about 200, and at that particular time in the 70s when I was there, there was about 250 kibbutzes in mm. Israel. And they ranged in a population anywhere from 200 to 2,000. So, so they were like the pioneers of Israel. You could go and you could, you could volunteer and so anyway, that's what we did. And we brought volunteered in order to bring the gospel to the Jewish people. You work with them every day. You go to the cotton fields and work. You work in the orchards. You work in the dairy. You work in the chickens. You work in all these things. But you're constantly interacting with Jewish people. And, and they didn't know. I mean, they know nothing about Jesus. I mean, most, most, is, most Jewish people relate, Israelis relate, Christianity to Catholicism. That's how they hmm. sort of see uh, Christianity. And so we came over the message with the message that Jesus is Jewish. You know, he and he loves the Jewish people. And, and this was after coming. I sat down with, you know, a lot of Holocaust survivors. When, when hmm. they were teenagers, they were wow. in concentration camps. And to, to hear their stories of what God had or not what God had done, because most of them were unbelievers, but just the the experiences they went through and are, were I was able to share the hope of, of Yeshua, Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. But anyway, so fast forward from that. So so I I developed a, a love for the Jewish people there. Came back here, lived in uh, uh, I lived in Israel for a time, and then we came back. And one of I guess probably one of the biggest trials in my life. I'd been a believer for, at this particular point, for about 20, see, well, probably about 15 years or so. And uh, I was married uh, before Nita and I met. Uh, and and my wife had have lived, uh, I was married when I lived in Israel too, and so, or part of the time I lived in Israel. 
And so, I mean, we were on the mission field together. There were, you know, went to church, did all these things. And, and I could see her starting to pull away, hmm. not, not just from me, but pull away from the Lord, pull away from her faith. And, uh, and you didn't know what to do. It's like, it's sort of like you see this train coming down the track and you don't know how to stop it. And uh, one of the things several years before this particular time, this was, this was in 2020. I mean, excuse me. This was in, yeah, in 2000 or 1998, actually. Mm-hmm. Several years before this time, I'd have watched an illustrated sermon. It's, it, it's one that stuck with me all my life. And uh, the guy was was preaching on the potter and the clay out of Jeremiah. And while he's preaching, there's a potter that's building a pot or throwing a pot on the platform. And so it really wasn't a coordinated sermon. It's just the preacher, as he's preaching, is just sort of commenting on the potter. Hmm. Well, anyway, the the potter gets the, the pot up like this. And it for the audience out there, it looks like he's finished with it. And then all of a sudden, he just goes splat, mm. and he just begins to knead it like that. And you would think, well, that looked like it was finished. And so the preacher asked him, he said, what did you do that for? And so the potter said, it has an air bubble in it. And he asked him, what, what, is that? what does that mean? Well, if it has an air bubble in it, and you put it in the kiln, it explodes because the, the air heats up and explodes and I remember sharing this with a class one time and this one of the ladies in there said that happened to me one time it said not only did it destroy my pot but it destroyed a bunch of other pots around it and so that sermon always stuck with me and uh several years later a number of years later uh we were at Baruch Hashem which is uh the congregation DBC has had a relationship with years for years and I used to lead worship on Friday nights here and so they had asked me to speak on a Friday night, <clears throat> first time I, I'd ever spoken there. And so I was preaching, and the next, within a week, <laughs> all the elders have left the church. It wasn't because of my sermon. <laughs> so says that you. Time, that time, Gary O'Neill drove the entire elder board out of a church. It's like a church growth program. <laughs> all, the, all the elders had left the church, and then... I took took my son like that following week. I took him to a retreat up in Oklahoma. And when I came back, my wife had moved out. Mm. I had no idea. Mm. And I, I, I knew that you can see things sort of boiling, but, but you don't know. I mean, divorce was never in my vocabulary. I, I never thought about it. I just wasn't, it wasn't an option. Mm-hmm even when you see the, the tensions rising and everything. And so anyway, she moved out. Uh, when I, I got home, she was gone. And, and uh, she contacted me later. She said, well, I've, I've decided that I'm going to move out and I'm going to give it six weeks. I mean, I'm going to give it six months. And if my feelings don't change, I'm going to divorce you. Well, in reality, she had already made that decision. And, uh, but I will, I will say this, and my son at that time, he was in the sixth grade. My daughter was in the eighth grade. Mm. And, uh, and I just started tr- teaching at Trinity Christian in Addison. And I don't know how to describe it, 
except to say that when God, when, when she moved out, it's like God moved in. And it wasn't that, I mean, we were both believers. I mean, it wasn't that we were, you know, that God hadn't, we were in ministry. I mean, we did all of these things, but God moved in in a special way. I always think about the, the ark of the Lord came to dwell in the house of Obed-Edom, and the blessing of the Lord was on his house because of that. And that's sort of what happened is that <clears throat> the presence of God was just in the house. And... Uh, and it was extremely, probably the most trying time in my life, but it was also a sense of God's presence in a way that led me through that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So that first, uh, so that first year, and, and she ended up divorcing, and uh, and it was just, it was destroying. It was so difficult on our children. I mean, extremely, extremely difficult. Mm-hmm especially my son and uh so anyway were they were the kids with you did they stay with my you? son yeah one of the things she said she said uh you know I want, my son was named elon and my daughter was megan so i want elon to to stay with you and i mean he just it was devastating to mm. him because he was very close to his mom and uh so anyway i uh and I remember because he was he was a handful. He could be a, you know, he could be a handful. And I remember he was mouthing off doing something. I mean, he could he could really he had a lot of anger, you know, he and could all this push stuff. Pushing buttons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I remember being mad at him, and I just I was I was actually going to spank him. He was in a, and the Lord just stopped me, and I said. Elon, come here. Mm-hmm. I just put my arms around him. And he just began to cry. And that was like the beginning of a lot of healing. But it was, it's, well, anyway, I'll tell you the rest of the story. It's So <clears throat> that was it. Um, so that was a, would have been in, in like 2000, and that's when about the time I came to DBC. <clears throat> but he had so much anger. Even though there was healing in our relationship, there was a lot of strife also because he had so much hurt and rejection, mm-hmm. and he was angry, angry, angry. And it's such a complicated time for you too. You're, work, you're walking through your grief and mm-hmm. your heartache and, and the shock of the reality that you're in, like you said, you never thought that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I mean, and you're parenting alone. You mm-hmm. don't have somebody to bounce it off of or to, to help you have some margin to have a little bit more patience. Mm-hmm. Or I just think that's, it well, feels you destructive. Got, yeah. And a, a, another complication is you have two different worldviews now opposed to each other before, because like I said, she, And she would say, I mean, she would even say to the kids, Christianity has ruined my life. Hmm. And so, so it was. So you're wanting to parent out of the truth of the gospel and what you believe. Right. And so they're, they're getting this, this very confusing Uh, message. message. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so for about, and he was at Trinity at that time when he was, um, he went on to high school. By the time he was a junior in high school, I mean, he was just an absolute mess. Mm. 
he flunked out, uh, not because he wasn't smart. He was a very smart kid, but he was just, he was so angry. Everybody, he was angry at everybody. And I said, Lord, what do I do? I, I don't know what to do. And so, <clears throat> so he, he dropped out of school and he said, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So he, after he dropped out, I mean, he really got, into a, a lot of things. He started going to uh, Richardson, the high school in Richardson, just a public school. Mm-hmm. And then um, he started doing, you know, drugs and alcohol, all of these things. And, and, then, uh, and then he came to me at the end of that uh, year. He said, please, please, please get me back into a Christian school. And so Carrollton Christian was open at that time, so I got him enrolled. He couldn't come back to Trinity because of probation things and stuff. So he started uh, going to, to Carrollton, but he was so... Um, he was just so broken at this particular point. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So uh, we had to, uh, I had to get him some sort of help. I mean, it was at that point he needs some place to go because he was just, distru- he was on self-destruct. And uh, so we found a place uh, out in Arizona. And again, you don't have the unity to work because, I mean, she she doesn't have a biblical worldview anymore, and so you're, you're, you just kind of have to do what you can. So there was a place out there, <clears throat> excuse me, it wasn't Christian, but it, at least, you know, we thought it might help. And, and so he, he went out there, and my mom and I drove out there to see him during, uh, like, the spring break, and it was worse out there than it was here. I mean, the place mm. was not good. And... Uh, so I went ahead and, you know, paid for him to f- finish that semester. But he he came back, and uh, I remember I picked him up at the airport, drove him. Uh, we were coming home, and before we got out of the car, he kicked out the windshield. He, when he came in the house, he, he ran his fist through a, a glass door mm. and just he was so angry. Mm. And um, I said... Um, so I, I prayed. I said, Lord, what do I do with this? I don't, I'm not sure what to do. And <clears throat> so the Lord spoke some. I was at, at school. And I said, Lon, you can't do that and live here. You know, I love you. I'll do, I always said, you know, I'll go, I'll, I'll go up the road with you, but I'm not going to go down the road with you. Mm-hmm. I'll do anything that I can to help you, but I'm not going to enable you to destroy your life. Mm-hmm. And so... <clears throat> anyway, when he, uh, so while I, I remember being at school that day and, and the Lord spoke to me because I said, what do I do? And, and when, and the Lord said, I want you to take him to the Salvation Army. And so anyway, when I got home, there's that I, clear voice again. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I get home, <clears throat> you know, I said, Lord, I want you to, you know, you need to get your bags packed because I'm going to take you to the Salvation Army. That's where you're going to live. So he gets in the car and we're going down there and I could see this oppression just building and he and uh <clears throat> and so we walk in, we walk into this room full of homeless people and he just starts crying. Yo, please don't leave me here. And I said, Lon, I don't want to leave you here. This is where you're putting yourself. I don't want to leave you here. Mm. But we've got to talk. We've got to talk. And so anyway, we're coming, we're going back home. <clears throat> this is in 2006, uh, in 2005. 
So we're going and back home. Like and and I wasn't married at the, this was, I'm sorry. Is he like 15 or 16 at this point? Or? Yeah, at this particular time, he is uh, 17, let's see, 2006. He'd be 18, actually. Okay. Mm-hmm. But he had already dropped out of school. He, you know, didn't get his degree. And, and uh, so anyway, we get back and, and uh, I s- and I, about a week before, I'd really felt like I ought to get this uh, CD, or uh, I think it was like a D, or actually a CD. I guess it was a DVD called uh, "Life, Life in a Box." It was out of a ministry. I don't know if you're familiar with David Wilkerson. Uh, he had a ministry in New York to trouble. It's like a World Challenge or World Vision. Oh, mm. World Vision. Not, not, no, I'm sorry, not World oh, Vision. Okay. Teen used to be Teen Challenge. Now it's World Challenge. Mm. But David Wilkerson worked with uh, kids that were drug dependent back in like gangs in New York back in the late 50s and early 60s. But anyway, so it was his ministry, and I just felt like I need to get that CD. And uh, about a week before, I don't even know why, so I ordered it. And uh, so when Elon got back, I said, Elon, would you be interested in listening to this with me? Yeah, if you'll leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) So so anyway, we put it on the computer, you know, listen to it on the the, uh, computer. And uh, I mean, by the end of it, he's just bawling. He's Mm. just just weeping, weeping. And I said, Elon, you know, God wants to change your heart. And I said, um, would you like to pray and ask the Lord to come into your heart? And he said, uh, he said, I'm, I'm so afraid. And I'm thinking, what are you afraid of? Because he was a cutter. I mean, he, he just mm-hmm. all kinds of things. And, <clears throat> and he said, uh, I said, Lon, I'm, I'm not, I won't pray with you. I'm not going to pray with you if you don't want me to pray. But if you want me to pray with you, I'll pray with you, and I believe God can change your life. And uh, he said, he said, yeah, I want that. So I prayed with him, and I don't know how to explain it except to tell you this. It was, it was something very subtle, but it was something very different after that prayer. He still had a load of, of baggage, mm-hmm. but there was something different, and the anger was gone. It was like it was plucked out from the roots. Wow. And uh, <clears throat> so anyway, so we went to, to uh, and this was on a Wednesday night. So DBC didn't have services at, uh, on Wednesday night. And I said, Lon, would you like to go to church somewhere? You could never get me to go to church with you. But he, he, he said, yeah, yeah, I, th- I think I'd like to. So cool. <laughs> So we go to this church. Nobody knew us. He's going up the the stairs to the youth. To the youth was upstairs, and uh, as he's going up, I could see this this darkness just start to come on. He said, um, "He said I just can't do this. I just can't." So I said, "What are you thinking?" He said, "Well, it's my name. Why'd you name me Elon? People call me Ellen. People call me Elaine. Why'd you name me Elon?" <laughs> Thanks a lot, Dad. <laughs> so, so anyway, we we get up to the top of the stairs, and he said, "I just can't do it." And he was in his. We brought. We did two different cars, and, he, and I said, "Well," he said, "I'm just going to the bathroom and go home." So that's where. 
as we're walking down the hall, this guy pops out from around the corner like he's walking down. This guy comes around the corner and puts his hand on his shoulders and said, hey, man, what's your name? <laughs> and Elon said, Elon. He said, that's a cool name. I love that name. <laughs> and Elon looks at me and says, I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that was a... That was the beginning of a week of miracles. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you uh, know, I'm trying to think of his name right now. Cameron, remember, you, did, you know Cameron that has the outreach to the uh, uh, immigrants that used to go to oh, BBC? Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. anyway. Well, he was at that particular the time. Before the nations. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, at that particular time, and he was only a, a, a couple of years older Mullins. than Elon at I that time. I just got it. Cameron and Caitlin Mullins. Yeah, yeah. Cam <laughs> well, anyway, Cameron was like God's angel. He showed up every day because Elon, as I said, he still had a lot of baggage. Mm -hmm. And Cameron would come every day and take him out to lunch. And mm -hmm. he would just speak into his life and speak into his life. And, and um, so it was like, but I knew that he needed more help, you know, that that there was so there's so many hurts that he needed more help, and so uh, it's one of those things where you you know you you call and okay where where can I you know God where do I send him and so anyway there was this place out in in uh, Montana and I got it from Focus on the Family mm -hmm. and this uh, couple this man and his wife they had a little little ministry to kids like troubled kids and. It was one of those things where everything fell into place. Mm -hmm. I mean, just like that. Because usually, I mean, they won't, you know, <laughs> much money up front. But it was like everything just, just fell into place. Oh, don't worry about that. We'll take care of that later. Mm -hmm. and everything. So anyway, I said, Lon, get, you know, I want you to get your bags packed because you need some more help. And he did. I mean, he packed his own bags, which was a miracle in itself. So, so anyway, he, he uh, uh, so we get on the plane. He goes out there. And uh, starts going to a church, and I could tell, and I'd be in communication. He was out there for six months, and I, I and my mom again went out and, and saw him during the middle part of that, and I could tell he was different. He was like, he would even say, he said, you know, if he had to hear somebody cursing or swearing, he said, did I used to do that? And I said, yeah, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> but anyway, he would. So I, I knew that he had a relationship with the Lord. And this is something I prayed for him for six years. I mean, incessantly, mm. just, just, I'd get up and if I got up, you know, if I was troubled, you know, the scripture says, if any man is troubled, let him pray. And if it was, if I'd wake up at three o'clock in the morning, I'd get up and pray for him and pray for him for six years. I'm praying God, the, the major thing I want to know, does he have a relationship with you? Mm. That was the one thing I want to know. Does he have a relationship with you? So anyway, he was up there for about six months. And I would be in communication with the, the leader of the ministry. And he would talk about some of his struggles. But I could tell that this relationship was real. Mm. It was something that was not put on. It was very subtle. And he still struggled with a lot of things. But you, And my daughter was getting married and... Uh, uh, by this time, it was October. She's going to get married. In, I'm sorry. In in uh, yeah, October. That's right. And uh, and he wanted to come to the wedding. And you know, when they're in a place like that, you wrestle because you you know, is it time? Should should I bring him back? Because he still had so many struggles. And so anyway, <clears throat> I felt like I should. So I, I 
uh, he came back, and uh, I mean, he looked the best I'd ever seen him. He, you know, they'd hiked over the Continental Divide. I mean, he was—he just looked good. And he would go up to Trinity where I worked, and, and the teachers loved. He was a very funny kid, and the teachers loved him out there. And I always say he was like the the man that they they always they reflected back God's love to him. But he was like a, a a person that looks at himself in a mirror, and then he walks away and he forgets what he looks like. Mm. So he's still struggling with all these things. So he's been back for two, uh, three months. And I could tell when he first got back, I mean, he was determined he's going to go to Baylor. He's doing all these things. And I could see this darkness just start to settle in on him again. And um, I could see him just going down in, in this depression. And one day I came home and he, he was, you know, he had some marijuana in the house. And I said, Lon, you can't do that. And he's... And but it's very interesting because all the anger was gone. It was mm-hmm. a different. It was different. He still had all these hurts. He still had, but he, the anger was gone. And I said, Lon, you can't do that. And he said, Well, you know, will you take me over to a friend's house. And and he said, I'm I'm not mad. He said, Will you just take me to a friend's house? And so he did. This was on January the third. About January the third, I woke up about. <clears throat> excuse me. About three o'clock in the morning, I'd, I'd uh, two or three o'clock in the morning. I would just started back to school uh, after the holidays, and and I re- remember praying. I said, God, I said I don't understand why some people seem to just they just seem to get delivered, and I don't understand why some people don't. I know He has a relationship with you. And I'd never prayed this before. And I, I said, God, I would rather him be with you than to struggle with this all of his life and to struggle with this these type of demons, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. I, <clears throat> well, anyway, I went to school that day. That was uh, and about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. My first wife had gotten remarried, and her husband called and said, Alon passed away last night. And uh, said he was uh, he was had a Game Boy in his hand <laughs> when they found him, and he had just just gone to sleep. Hmm. And uh, so I would, you know, I wrestled with that. I believe God just took him out of the battle. Hmm. And uh, did you say took took him out of the battle? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he just I just think he took him out of the battle. And um, he said, you know, the doctor said, I mean, the, the coroner said he's, he had some, he said it had a slight amount of drugs in his system. It wasn't enough to kill him. You know, he said he just, he just went, to, and the, the coroner's words was he went to sleep. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I wrestled with that. But I, I always put it like this, you know, <clears throat> I feel like that God showed me his fingerprints on a lawn. And fingerprints are not visible to a casual inquirer, but they're visible to a diligent seeker. And I think because I prayed so diligently for so many years, God allowed me to see his fingerprints in Elon's life. And that was so much consolation for me. It was, <laughs> it was a, di- a victory in defeat. I don't know exactly how to describe it. Because, I mean, I just knew 
that God just says, come home, come home. And so it was just, um, I had so much peace during that process. And so that was in, in 2006, and then, and then God began to, you know, went through that. And the Lord, the Lord really did. He gave me so much grace through that. And because uh, I knew, I knew where Lonnie was. Hmm. And um, and then after that, then comes the story of Nita later. But. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Gary, I just keep feeling like the Lord just keeps impressing on me. And it's sort of, I was thinking it before you said it, and then you said it. And then now I'm thinking it again. Why did you name him Elan? Elan means, Hebrew it means trees of righteousness the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified and that's what his name means the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified and um, and I believe he was I believe he was you know I just I know and you know there's it's so interesting you know there's so many questions that you have I love that scripture in in uh and 1 Corinthians 13 says, now we see through a glass darkly, or we see it, but then we're going to see face to face. Then we're going to, then we're going to know just as we, we're going to know fully just as we have been fully known. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean we're going to know God fully, but it is going to, we're going to be able to see in God's light all the things that we had questions about before. We're going to, oh, I understand why this happened. I understand. And so he, he shines a light. There's a scripture in, in Psalms that says, in his light, we see light. Mm. And uh, so I believe he's going to, there's going to be an unveiling of his glory and his plan through all of that process. Uh, but now it's, it's, a, it's not a clear image, but it's enough to know that God's in charge and that he's going to bring about his purpose through that. So, uh, And that's where, I think that's where, peace comes from it's not it the peace does not come from knowing exactly what what god is doing mm-hmm. but knowing that he is doing something exactly and i don't and that doesn't take away the i mean you're heartbroken of course you're heartbroken sure. you lost your son even though you can have a peace around that mm-hmm. um, it doesn't take away the the hard that we have here right but there can be such a comfort in knowing it there was purpose in it mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Um, and to really trust that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's such a, I did not know that about your story. Yeah. That's such a tender part. Yeah. Um, I have been a wreck. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. And totally useless <laughs> in contributing to this story. So I'm glad that you were able to, uh, to carry it as I was over here, like trying not to snot cry. So, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've, you've, you've like, you've lived a lot of life, Gary. Yeah. Yeah. For 33 and a half, you've lived a lot of life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, I know that we um, we do have to be aware of time on sure. the podcast. Um, you know, what's great is your story can is kind of continued with, you know, Nita was right, on sure. our podcast, sure. and she was able to share um, just about what a blessing you've been mm-hmm. in her life and, and what your faith and what God has done in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, how that has really gifted her and helped her grow. And y'all are just such a neat couple. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
yeah, I'd love to have you back and hear another oh, part. Part do. <laughs> yeah, part do. <laughs> yes, Gary. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I mean, I just, um, our church is so blessed to have you mm-hmm. and Nita and to have um, y'all's tender, repaired hearts mm-hmm. um, on our prayer team, um, just blessing people. Um, because I, I mean, you are people that have walked in pain mm-hmm. and, um, we're just grateful that like God kept your heart so soft mm-hmm. and tender. And, um, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that with, with us. And, um, I'm, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful to have gotten to hear your story twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. And, uh, yeah, you know, uh, one of my favorite scriptures now that I'm older is Psalm 92, 14. It says, even when I'm old and gray, let me be full of sap and very green. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, yeah, so, you know, God, t- God doesn't waste trials. He mm. doesn't waste trials. You know, he turns them, you know, it says, blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our afflictions in order that we might comfort others with the same comfort wherewith we are comforted by God. And, all of those things, I mean, God uses for his glory. And he uses, I, th- I always say, ministry is not born in the seminary. I'm not saying that's not a part of it, but ministry is born in the fire. Mm-hmm. That's where it moves from scriptures up here in your head to to the fire of God in this, the living word down here. And Jesus said, out of your inmost being will flow rivers of living water. And that's... Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he uses all of those things to to make that transition from here to here. One of my favorite scriptures that should be memorized where I know the address, but I bet Gary knows it. (laughs) In the Psalms where they... um, where it says that, that the Lord keeps all of our tears in a bottle. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's, yeah, very, very true, very true. That he sees them, he knows them. He does, yeah, he does them. And they're treasure, like like they're they're used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's, um, so yeah, it's going to be, yeah, it's, it, makes you, it makes you look for the day of redemption. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when all things will be made new, all of those unanswered questions are cleared up and, uh, and you see God's plan. I love. I saw Corey Ten Boom one mm. time when I was younger speak, and one of the things she had, I remember in that speech, she had a a tapestry, and she showed the backside of the tapestry. You know, the, with the backside of the tapestry, she's got mm-hmm. you know lines running all over it. And she said, you know, that's when we're going through things, we're seeing the backside of the tapestry. We really can't put it together. It doesn't look all that great. <laughs> And then she flipped it over and she says, you know, when it's finished, this is what it looks like. And this is a beautiful passage, this, this picture of, uh, of God's design. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times we see that tapestry as we're going through. We're just looking at the backside. We mm-hmm. know God's working in it. Mm-hmm. But I think we really won't see that design until eternity. And then all of a sudden, all mm-hmm. of this stuff is put together. Mm-hmm. And God's been in control during all of this. And he's weaving his purpose through all of these things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, uh, you know, the hope of heaven. Yeah. So. That's yeah. beautiful. <laughs> that is. Although it made, it made it just made me think of how, um, so I come from a family of crafters. And um, my mom and my aunt Tina were both um, cross-stitchers, like like true 80s women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Um, my aunt Tina always used to get so annoyed with my mom because 
my mom, the back side of my mom's cross stitch looked as good as the front side. (laughs) (laughs) But she's like, she's an exception to the rule. Usually it's a hot mess on the back. So anyway, but I still think your story rings true. It's just, it made me think of my mom's, how neat neat of a cross stitcher my mom was. Well, Gary, again, we are so grateful um, that you agreed to join us tonight. And thank you guys for always listening to Embarrassment of Riches. 